0: immersive audio podcast in conversations with industry thought leaders practitioners artists academics and entrepreneurs discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry from art science and business to practical insights and project case studies we aim to inform educate explore and unite the community
1: Hello and welcome back to the second episode of the series on spatial audio in automotive. Last week we explored how the Ambio mobility team embarked on such an ambitious mission of bringing the immersive audio to the car. We also discussed the core features of Ambio algorithms and the importance of the tuning process. In this episode we're going to talk about how the system was designed from the ground up, how spatial audio can help with the ear fatigue and concentration levels, as well as explore an important aspect of energy efficiency of the software that can deliver an immersive experience in a greener and more sustainable way. Here is Luca and Sophia again explaining how the Ambio mobility system fits in line with global vehicle electrification, supporting a sustainable greener future.
2: Sustainability is a big trend, is a big topic. We approach this market in a moment where there is a big shift for electrification. And uh, cars they have a big problem uh, with weight, so they have to really try everything to, to save weight. And um, when you check the, the immersive sound system available in the market, you will notice that they are using a lot more than 20 components. And I think here, one of the key technology that we are using allows the car manufacturer to reduce the amount of speakers. That's why when I'm reading about competitors that are using more than 30 speakers, I think this is completely the wrong approach. And um, in fact, what we have demonstrated with different demo cars and with our technology that we can reduce the amount of speakers and also the dimension of the the speakers. And this is the way to go. It was our approach with the Ambio soundbar, where basically we create immersive sound experience in the living room uh, with just uh, one single uh, piece of equipment and this is the same approach that we are having with our technology inside the car.
3: So sustainability is a very important uh, value for us uh, as a team and as a company we're striving to to improve really our position there and uh, came maybe almost by chance but uh it's uh, so this is not going to be a clever marketing uh, idea but it's uh, it's we really believe with the system we provide some tangible benefits on the energy and uh carbon footprint in particular so uh we could say one big uh, benefit is that uh, we are not asking OEMs to suddenly install more speakers or, um, or consume more power for playing back uh, the immersive sound um, that, we, that we provide. But uh, the other way around, actually, our software is so smart that it can optimize the output of any loudspeaker configuration and can even help them reduce uh, the amount of them. This has also some benefits in terms of uh, weight, um, weight saving especially for the big speakers such as the subwoofer in the trunk. Uh, We can now substitute it with either lighter weight equipment or uh, in particular what I'm referring to is actuators. This is a technology that we also believe in and have partnered with Continental in optimizing. Uh, We have a module in our uh, software suite that's focused on optimizing the base response and uh, contributing to maintaining uh, or even enhancing the base punch and and performance, even with the smaller size and smaller weight uh, uh, hardware equipment. And uh, then last but not least, with the smaller footprint and weight of the components that we recommend in the car, we have, of course, uh, an optimized fuel consumption and especially as we're looking to at the future of the automotive industry going towards electrification, that will allow for uh, an increased range. So lesser weight and uh, optimize uh, energy consumption enable for a, for a longer range in electric vehicles. and we see that is a very important benefit for many of the EV OEMs that we talk to and uh, also for those looking at uh, transitioning towards uh, to a more electrified fleet.
1: Are there any particular car brands that you think are more suitable for adopting ambient mobility technology?
3: Yeah, uh, so we're targeting in particular uh, new brands in the automotive space that are focusing on launching new innovative electric vehicles and are right now building their brand and uh, their technology stack. That's very interesting for us. It's normally, these are normally companies that go at the faster pace and we find uh, very similar to us in many ways. We normally have a good relationship and can quickly get the proof of concept together and, uh, and get to market earlier with them. Other brands that we're looking at are rather unestablished uh, OEMs in the automotive space that uh, that have uh, have been there for many years, but now we're looking at transitioning towards uh, an electric fleet, and uh, normally they're starting with their more premium and luxury models and trickling that down in the portfolio. But some others are also taking a more uh, a more mainstream approach. So either way, we think uh, that's uh, that's interesting and that gives us a platform for experimenting, especially with those cars that are a bit more innovative and uh, future proof so that's where we think our brand also matches the best because uh, we we're bringing in a very innovative technology so so that's that's normally fits in nicely within their their value proposition and um, and then also we're not excluding smaller brands and the sense of smaller volume but perhaps huge uh, brand heritage That's also uh, something we usually value and respect because we're also a family-owned company that has a huge history and legacy. So we think there's a good brand fit there too. And uh, regardless of uh, if they're uh, already able to, to transition towards electrification or are rather still... Combustion engine-based cars. We are happy to partner with them too because uh, exactly the this, this small scale sometimes have, helps us uh, also uh, brings product to market faster. And also we believe in this premium uh, brand positioning uh, with a strong focus on uh, on the history and the legacy that's behind those brands.
1: I was extremely curious to learn about the process of development. An integration of the Ambio Mobility software with a wide range of sound systems installed in the vehicles. Over to Lawrence.
4: My name is Lawrence Bucher. I'm uh, based in Zurich, Switzerland, and I'm an audio software architect uh, in the Ambio team.
1: And what does it entail exactly?
4: It's uh, embedded software development, so, really going to the hardware. A part of it is algorithm development, and an ever growing part is really process and technology management.
1: What does Ambio Mobility mean to you personally?
4: For me, Ambio Mobility is uh, a new generation of car audio experiences. It's an immersive experience. We're trying to leverage the uh, latest developments in automotive audio platforms. Suddenly there is a lot more processing power available. That allows us to do uh, many things that were just not possible before. Um, a lot of things are moving towards software that were previously hardware. People would, uh, you know, OEMs would buy boxes from uh, third-party manufacturers that they would put into uh, to the car and connect them through uh, through a CAN bus or a to B bus or something. And all these things are gravitating more and more towards uh, software, and we are trying to be on top of that wave of change that is happening in the automotive industry in general, but specifically in the automotive audio.
1: Really, it's an astonishing achievement considering those initial steps all the way to the final product. Can you talk about those early days and what was the beginning of the audio engine?
4: Uh, Back then, we had really uh, a demonstrator that was essentially... uh, a first order approximation of a car so uh, essentially a wooden box with a bunch of uh, speakers and uh, you know these Kanka uh, profiles <laughs> around uh, around the listener and some car seats inside uh and yeah we've come a long way since then definitely so let me elaborate a bit on internal audio engine my biggest task in the in the last few years has been to create an audio engine that allows a scalable and adaptable um, allows to create such an environment for developers of algorithms. So, On the one hand, we, uh, we have to allow developers to do rapid prototyping on that platform. So I, I want um, the people who develop audio algorithms to be able to get into the car to listen to their creation as quickly as possible without having to write automotive grade code. So being able to work on a high level. And at the same time, I want to be able to develop automotive-grade code in the same environment, and I want these to be able to coexist. So these workflows have to re- exist in parallel. And uh, that was actually one of the, or still is one of the bigger challenges, balancing those, those two things. And yes, so the milestone is when this engine reached the level where we could really say, Okay, we, we have the actual thing that will be running on a, a head unit or an amplifier. We have we have built this on a, on a higher level and this is running for the demo. It's exactly the same code. And the biggest milestone so far will definitely be when we have a car running our technology on the road.
1: What was one of the biggest challenges that you faced in the process?
4: In general, uh, Sennheiser is not a software company. Uh, Software is something that so far has been a necessity or something used as a supporting product for a microphone, for headphones and, and, and other products. And here we are building software as a product. And this is going to be, in my opinion, one of the most important pillars of Sennheiser in the future. Software itself, not just as a companion, but actually building this competency in in software inside the company. And we've made great progress so far throughout Sennheiser. And the next level from the actual software is then being a software supplier for the automotive industry, which is a highly regulated industry and has its own sets of uh, standards and rules. And what I personally see as the biggest challenge is being able to deliver automotive-grade software while maintaining the flexibility in mindset and the agility that we currently have. Because we are some sort of a startup within Sennheiser. We play by our own rules mostly, and I think that, is what gives us an edge, that we are agile, we get things done very quickly, whereas in bigger companies it would take a lot longer. And at the same time, there are uh, industry standards that we have to comply with. For example, we are in uh, the process of getting an ASPICE certification, which is an an industry standard uh, that applies not only to the software itself, but to the processes developing the software. It's something like an ISO 9001 certification, but specific to the automotive industry. And I have to balance this with the fact that we have a very small team and I don't want to spend uh, three quarters of our time you know, dealing with processes. We have to get things done, that's the biggest priority. And the challenge is to find the leanest way possible of being compliant while still being able to, to deliver. And it needs to be fun, that's the prime directive in my opinion. If I had to describe what our uh, technology or our our solutions do for a user sitting in a car, I would definitely describe it as uh, providing the experience that the user is looking for in a given situation. For example, if you are on a road trip with some friends, you listen to music in a different way than when you are commuting to work in the morning or commuting back from work, you're in a different mood and the the way you you want to listen to music might vary a lot. I think what we want to achieve is to provide these options for the user to really get the most out of the experience, given a certain car, a certain environment, um, a certain noise level in the environment to really uh, allow the best possible experience. if you have a phone call, what you're looking for is most likely voice intelligibility or if you're listening to an audiobook, you want different things from that. And so providing wide array of these solutions and providing an intuitive way of using them. We analyzed lots of different cars, we also have our cars on our own and the, the user interfaces in car have shifted dramatically in the last few years. Everything is touchscreen now and you can really see uh, it's gotten so much more complex but the, the quality of the interaction has not necessarily improved. And we have a more minimalistic philosophy in terms of user interface. We don't want to provide a 12-band equalizer to the user, but we want to uh, provide an, uh, an access level that uh, makes more, more sense given a certain situation. This is also, uh, of course, this is going to disgruntle some power users, which, <laughs> which, which want a level of access. Um, so we have to to balance that that out and find something that works for most people, or provide two layers of access, kind of the, the the top level controls and then the under the hood controls that you can access through a sub menu. Also, one of the philosophies is that we have is that we want to curate the audio experience as a whole. We don't want to simply provide an algorithm to OEMs that they can put in and then everything sounds nicer, but we are actually involved in the entire process from where are the speakers going to be, how many speakers are there going to be, to uh, how? what is the signal flow in the entire audio system. We do not provide the, the audio system, we don't sell amplifiers or, or head units or something like that, but we want to be involved in the integration process. To get the most out of the whatever system the OEM has, to get the most out of it for the users.
1: There are so many different cars on the market. Can you talk about the process of integrating the system into a wide range of vehicles?
4: Our audio engine is really designed to go onto embedded systems from the beginning. And I mentioned earlier that we had to cover other scenarios such as rapid prototyping that operate on a higher level. So if I uh, if we want to get all techy, um, we have parts of the engine in C++ and parts in C, but the the lower layers that are written in C are uh, sufficient to provide the, the full audio experience. So what we're actually porting to the amplifier or to the head unit can be only lower C levels. And that comes from, from experience in, in porting to multiple platforms uh, mo- that I have mostly from the consumer electronics industry, but definitely using C code allows you the best possible portability because most of the embedded platforms have a C compiler, but not a C++ compiler. And even if they have a C++ compiler, they don't have all the features that you would need. And uh, this is it's changing, but it's, uh, it's going, still going to take a while before C++ becomes commonplace in automotive embedded systems. What we provide is a bespoke solution for a given car line. So our engine is fully scalable in terms that it can host a certain number and instances of our algorithm components, and it can provide a solution for any given number of loudspeakers, but also for potentially any given input format. So the standard case is stereo content, But we also have uh, scenarios where, for example, we take uh, a decoded Dolby Atmos stream and we, we render this to a given number of loudspeakers. Integral part of our solution is really the tuning aspect. So in the tuning process, we customize our algorithms. We set the parameters and there, you know, there are hundreds of parameters that we have to set and we, we set them to, to get the best possible experience in a given car with a given material for the seats and a given number and position of loudspeakers and everything. So we have to wait until we really have at least a a, a certain maturity level in the finished car before we can do the tuning.
1: What kind of tools do you design and implement within the system so that you can provide a platform for tuning process to take place for engineers as well as the end
4: users? To explain what tuning means in a car, I um, can really start from the beginning of how cars have evolved over the years. Uh, Let's say at at some point where stereo content was the norm, then you would have two loudspeakers and then four loudspeakers became commonplace and you had speakers in the back. Then at some point you had um, uh, two-way or three-way systems or you had a dedicated subwoofer. Uh, that also led to, to, to a better experience. And then at some point you have a large number of speakers and you have to get them to play together nicely, to really create a harmony and the playback in the different regions of the car. Usually it's optimized for the front seats or, or even for the driver, but uh, it, it allows you to, to have some flexibility. Uh, in usual cars, even to this day, you see the balance fader controls which completely destroy the audio experience because it's essentially a hard panner just uh, cutting the signal to certain speakers. From what I know, the balance fader control is mostly used if you have uh, kids in the back and they want to listen to children's songs and you actually want the music only to play in the back. So there is no fidelity requirement in that scenario. So it's really just about very primitive form of zoning the sounds into certain regions of the car. and most of the the tunings in in cars have a focus on speaker linearization so you really want the speaker uh, system that you you have and so the the audio people in car manufacturers they, they usually, Pref- would prefer to have more speakers better speakers in better positions but they have to fight with uh, the people who design the electrical wiring in the doors and space is limited the uh, costs are limited and so on so it's always going to be a compromise having enough volume available for a speaker in the door is a huge problem as well uh, the, the position is also a huge problem because uh, if, if you want if you have speakers at at uh, the height where you have the uh, the window controls, for example, or the armrests, you will probably you would have better sound, but they're harder to place there. Also, on a structural structural level, there are lots of discussions that need to <laughs> need to be had with the different people uh, involved. And uh, with speaker linearization, the goal is to achieve an, an even reproduction across all frequencies. Um, this. Uh, tries to mitigate some of the resonances that the speaker itself has, uh, resonances that come from the position where the speaker has been mounted. Uh, as you can imagine, rattling is a huge, uh, huge issue. And then come all the external uh, factors such as engine noise or wind noise or, or any uh, other effects that you will have in, in, a, in a car. Obviously, it will sound the best if you're sitting in a parking lot, but that's not <laughs> the most common use case. And the next level of, uh, of of that part is then creating an immersive experience, adding depth to it. You you have a perfectly linearized uh, system in a car, but then does it sound the way you want it to sound? Does it does it sound clean? Is it able to improve the experience for the listener? And then it gets very subjective. Some people just want a lot of bass. They want things to move around because they they get this feeling from the bass that that they want to have. Um, a little anecdote on the side. Um, every time I have a rental car, I have the habit of going through the audio settings first. And every time but once so far, and I've had many rental cars, I go to the user settings and all the sliders or knobs are maxed out every time. This seems to be the... Um, what most people do, if you give them choices, they just max everything out, and it sounds horrible. It's definitely not not the the optimal experience, but I guess psychologically turning everything to eleven get, gets you the best possible sound to the average user. <laughs> and to quickly uh, circle back to 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 the tuning itself is uh, so the the most common elements used in car tunings are obviously uh, delays to make uh, sure there is coherence in the sound waves propagating in the cabin, uh, and equalizers for speaker linearization or sound coloration. Those are the the basic building blocks and then gains, of course, to to compensate uh, for differences in the speaker sensitivity or uh, to help with with localization. These are the basic tools still used today. Then you have, uh, of course, the classic uh, loudness control, that aims to improve the experience at lower volumes by compensating the Fletcher-Munson curves, as far as I know. So really, kind of boosting boosting the bass mostly, from uh, from what I can hear. Sometimes you have uh, compressors or more like uh, limiters for speaker protection, mostly. But usually that's it. There there are um, you know other other algorithmic blocks in automotive systems such as uh, speed dependent gain and things like that. Some smarter than others. Um, and then, we, some of us remember the 90s where uh, there were these gimmicky effects in PC sound cars uh, that allowed you to make everything sound as if you were in a cavern. Yeah, back in those days, I was 16 and it was a lot of fun and it was amazing that you were able to create such a simulation of an environment. But practically speaking, it's not really usable and it's not really what you want. So, in our opinion, adding reverb to a recording is changing it in a way that is not intended or was not intended by its creators so the either the artists and or the the producer of this recording if they wanted to add this reverb they would have added it so we don't want to mess with that we we don't add reverb and so if you don't add reverb how can you create a more spatial impression of the music. How can you achieve a better distribution of these the stereo content, for example, to 16 speakers in a way that you keep the soundstage that was set in the stereo panorama, but you enhance it in a way that feels right. It's not too much, but it still is an improvement over simply um, you know, summing left and right, sending it to center and uh, sending left and right to the back speakers as well and lower the volume and compensate the delay, which is the classic, basic tuning that uh, most of the cars do. And that's where the secret sauce comes in, how, how to do this. And I think a very important keyword here is dynamic versus static. So if you have a normal tuning, what you are doing is completely static. You have an equalizer, you have gain and delay, and these are hard-coded, baked, they are always the same. You can customize some of the settings, yes, but uh, once you've set them, they stay the same. In a dynamic system, you're actually analyzing the content that you're playing back, for example, a musical track, and you are extracting meta information from that. And based on that, you distribute these musical components to different parts of your spatial environment. So you send it to different loudspeakers. And I think that is the heart piece of uh, our immersive audio solutions is really separating the stereo content into parts which are not meant to be spatialized, such as the voice, for example, is usually you don't want the lead vocals to be behind you or, or far in the distance. You want them to be very present, usually in the center. You want this proximity and other elements, for example in live recording you have crowd noises or you have uh, percussion elements that are already mixed very broadly in the original stereo and these components you you can actually spatialize more and these you can put towards the the back while still retaining the original idea and charm of the recording and this happens dynamically and it works better for some tracks than other tracks. And we've tested this with uh, numerous tracks, I mean if you feed it with a mono track, there's no spatial or almost no spatial information there. So it's it's really hard getting, getting a good result, there's not much you can do. And the more spatial information the music provides, the better. So obviously if you have a Dolby Atmos input, there's a lot more you can do than if you have a stereo input. There are some tracks where these effects work better than for others. And a big aspect is the psychoacoustic aspect of, of everything. We essentially can trick our our brain, because it's in the brain where this information is processed, we can trick our brain into perceiving um, certain sounds coming from a certain direction or having a certain distance. And this is something that we have learned throughout our lives. Our, our brain has learned to interpret the reflections that occur on our, on our other ears or to identify certain properties of sounds and associating them with distance or with a certain position. And we can emulate this to a certain degree with, with algorithms by fooling our brain into thinking this. And furthermore, we have psychoacoustic effects that we use um, for bass uh, processing or bass enhancement where we can make the the listener perceive bass at frequencies that are physically not present. And this is a, an effect that is used in actually many products on the market today as well. Sometimes you, you have these very small boom boxes or laptops and you wonder how can they sound, so where do they get the bass? They don't have the volume to produce this bass. And this is most likely thanks to similar psychoacoustic effects.
1: To what extent you can control the tuning process from car to car?
4: The tuning happens on a car-line basis, so not every single car, but every single model of car. So there's lots of things we don't know yet and depend a lot on the manufacturer, how they want to handle it. Let's say you have the same car, but you offer two variants of it. One with leather seats and one uh, with cloth uh, coverings or, or something different. That could very well influence the acoustics of the car. Or if you have a different a material for the, the panels on the doors or things like this. And ideally, we would have a separate tuning for each of those options. Of course, uh, some car manufacturers, the more exclusive they get, the number of options multiply exponentially. So it's not feasible anymore to do a tuning for every single one. I guess in the very high-end luxury segment, indeed, customers are willing to pay for a personal tuning for their car as as a one-off. That is totally doable. Uh, I don't think we have the capacity to do that right now, but it's certainly something conceivable for for the future. In the end, I see us doing a, a tuning per car line with, let's say, a given speaker configuration position, uh, given materials of uh, in the car, a given volume of the cabin, and then we we do a tuning for that. For me, as the software architect and the integrator of this entire solution. Um, what I get from the, the the audio experts with the golden ears doing the tunings is uh, a set of parameters and a certain configuration of our algorithms. So, for example, which of the building blocks are you using? Are you using uh, Ambio Concerto or are you also using Ambio Sonata? Because some of the cars have speakers or actuators in the headrests and some have not. So. It's really adjusted for for each customer. And based on that, I know what kind of package I have to put together in the engine. So kind of what, what do I have to process under the hood and with which parameters? And then this all gets integrated and then a whole new dimension comes in and then it's the classic, will it fit? And um, there are... Um, Numerous constraints in, in automotive systems. I mean, the, the, the biggest ones are obviously memory and uh, processor or CPU use. You will get a certain slice of the cake as Sennheiser providing uh, a software module. So they will tell you, for example, you get uh, 10% of the CPU of our amplifier, you get, I don't know, 200 kilobytes of memory or something like that. And that is one of the biggest challenges um, one of the biggest challenges for me in developing this audio engine has been dealing with the uncertainty of the target platform. I don't know and I still don't know what I am going to get, so I have to make some assumptions. In the ideal case, I will get something like a quote-unquote smartphone level platform, so for an ARM processor and, you know, megabytes of memory. Uh, and then and C++ compiler and so on, and ideally C++14, so something very more modern, and then I can actually do lots of things, uh, more advanced processing, and I don't have to worry too much about performance. Still a lot, but not too much. And then in a less ideal case, I will get a more primitive system that is, I guess, still the the state-of-the-art. In, in lots of uh, industries, where I have, for example, um, a, a DSP, a, sh- a shark DSP or something like this. from It's one of the most widespread ones, uh, hopefully floating-point math. If I'm unlucky, I will get fixed-point math, which brings on a whole other set of, of difficulties in, in, in processing. So yeah, I'm getting very geeky here. Um, but then we're talking about kilobytes of memory, and if I'm very unlucky, I will get a platform where there's no compiler and I have to write assembler code for it. And what that changes, obviously, is just uh, the amount of time I need to spend or me and my team need to spend porting this to these uh, individual platforms. It's not one click and, and deploy uh, as, as you would do with, a, with an app for the iPhone, for example but it's actually a whole process of uh, porting, of optimizing for a given platform, and then most importantly, making sure that the audio performance is the same, or at least almost the same with an acceptable tolerance, than on the original system that you did the tuning with. And that is a very big challenge. How do you design a software system where this is still unknown? If I would know right now, you're going to be working with this model of amplifier, I can prepare for that and I can be super careful when designing algorithms uh, and saying, hey, the maximum delay you can set is actually constrained to 5 milliseconds because otherwise we will run out of memory. Uh, But I don't know that yet. So it is somewhat an iterative process and I see um myself having many discussions with the audio experts where they say, hey, this is the tuning that we want. And then me having to tell them, well, on this platform, uh, this is not feasible. You have to <laughs> remove some bands of this equalizer because I don't have enough power to process this. What kind of software tools did you use for prototyping? In early demonstrators, um, we did a lot of experimentation with environments like uh, Pure Data and Max MSP, which allow um, a very quick way of trying out new ideas. And in the end, this was a, a big inspiration for how our audio engine uh, works, at least on on the surface. Under the hood, uh, it's certainly more optimized for for embedded cases. But still, in terms of uh, you know this this whole concept that you have blocks and you have connections between them and you have parameters for blocks, this is certainly a concept that we we share with uh, with tools such as uh, Pure Data or or Max MSP. Hardware engineers writing software in embedded teams usually so people they have a hardware mindset and not a software mindset, and they essentially debug their code with oscilloscope. So really by measuring the signals on the PCB. I'm exaggerating a bit to make a point, but um, that's also what I did early in my in my career. I I wrote assembly code for a DSP and I debugged it by looking at the signals with the oscilloscope. I think we are really approaching this from, from a slightly different angle or we have the freedom as a very small and agile team to get at this with fresh ideas without the weight of legacy code or solutions that other companies have.
1: Where do you see the software development heading further beyond Benchmark that you're currently establishing in automotive audio?
4: So as we move into the future in automotive audio, uh, there is a general shift to be noticed in the automotive industry towards software. Uh, Obviously, already today, uh, on a given car, there are millions and millions of lines of code running. Things are no longer being calculated in dedicated hardware boxes distributed throughout the car, but uh, things are getting more centralized. That also means that some of our processing will likely take place in the head unit, so the car Radio, <laughs> in a in in a wider sense, uh, and not the amplifier where where it's traditionally um, executed. And decentralization allows many possibilities because things become less rigid and more flexible. This also means that um, you could potentially receive over the air updates of audio algorithms, or you could purchase extensions for audio algorithms, you could unlock new sound modes in your car um, with some subscription service or you could even get into a rental car and because you are a subscriber of this service unlock audio algorithms in that rental car. That's something we can see happening in the future. There's uh, lots uh, uh, lots of things that need to happen before that is possible. Also, not easy to develop these things in the automotive industry given the very tough restrictions there are as to what software can do and security guidelines you have to fulfill to be able to deploy software to an automotive system. Even though we are not something that is called security critical uh, or safety critical, but it's still potentially safety-relevant, because you can distract the driver with very loud sounds if you, if you have a bug in your code and suddenly there is noise on the speakers at a random moment, uh, yeah, a driver can drive into a tree, as we say. So.
1: <laughs> so far, we've been focusing mainly on immersive music listening experience and communication. But can spatial audio help drivers to avoid an ear fatigue? And even potentially help with the cognitive load reduction. Here is Véronique sharing the study that Sennheiser conducted internally a while ago.
5: So on the topic fatigue and immersive audio I I would like to share some um, quite thorough experiments we've conducted about that topic and it started uh, way before MBO mobility when Uh, part of the company was creating headsets for call centers, so for people who are talking over the phone the entire day. And uh, they had observed a quite high amount of people leaving the company, very fast uh, turnover, because people just get fatigued. Today, home office, you know what it means to talk over the phone the entire day, and you understand the problem. So, but that was uh, over 10 years ago. And we, you know, someone a genius, I should say, in the company, formulated the hypothesis. Well, how about we use 3D audio to apply that to the voice that people hear in their headset that they are communicating with so that perhaps, you know, because the voice is no longer inside the head, that's what you get with a typical headset uh, when uh, you listen to a voice uh, calling you. So it's not inside the head, but it's just outside. And, you know, who cares if you hear it in front, in the back, but it's just outside the head. And that's typically the benefit that le- the most basic uh, immersive audio processing provides you with. And we took that hypothesis and we, we went to call centers and we ran tests, okay? equipping the, the people from uh, the call centers with our headset and our prototype processing with immersive audio applied to the voice talking to them. And uh, lo and behold, the, the feedback was, uh, qualitative feedback, I should say, was extremely positive. Uh, basically telling us how much more comfortable it is to to stay in the calls with that effect, enabling them to hear a, a voice more distant. So that was enough uh, for us to bring that into the product. And that's actually Sennheiser's first immersive audio product in the consumer space. with At the time, it was called uh, the room experience feature of the MB Pro 2 headset uh, and uh, that's the first time we at least I made a correlation between fatigue and immersive audio. Now fast forward and a personal opinion about immersive audio in the current fatigue. In general when you are able to to spread sound sources more apart from each other or further from you with some distance obviously you have more clarity and, and that should reduce the cognitive load if you're trying to understand and recover. You know who is speaking when. Typically, uh, being able to separate the voices, spatially, enables you to not have to think too much about who was just talking now. And that's something other companies are using already, uh, 3D audio for. But when it's about music, we've heard several times uh, from our um, our customers that um, the immersive audio. Delivery of the music that we provide enables them to reduce the volume, and and if you think about it, you know when you want to be immersed and and, you know forget the reality you're in to be to let yourself go into this uh, musical reality, you know you can pump up the volume and definitely everything else will vanish. The problem with that is that uh, when the music is loud, it's just tiring. It's fatiguing. So. If the, the, the technology we provide is surrounding you with music, is immersing you in the music, not because it's more loud, but just because it's specially distributed all around you, you don't need that extra boost of the volume. And that's where I would personally believe that, yes, uh, you're able to reduce your fatigue experiencing music in the long run using immersive music.
1: Next time, we're going to look at the key challenges that the Ambio team has overcome collectively. We're going to discuss the business side and the value proposition Ambio mobility technology brings to everyday customers and the car industry globally. But also the opportunities in automotive for the immersive audio community, the audio content creators, and I mean specifically you, our listeners. in the next episode.
4: For example, once a Chinese car brand came to us and asking if we can help them to deliver the karaoke experience in the car. And that made a big splash in my team. There's the potential to generate new genres of content that are specifically coming down to the situations of being inside a car and how we experience
1: new content. A, I must do it right, and I'm actually much more interested that Anderson Pack makes his next album only for 3D and then also does a stereo version, not the other way around. And then, I think, then in 10 years, 3D will be what stereo is now, which is the standard, the creative standard and the listening standard. Until next time.
0: If you enjoy the podcast and would like to show your support, please consider becoming a Patreon. Not only are you supporting us, but you will also get special access to bonus content and much more. Find out more on our official Patreon page, www.patreon.com immersive audio podcast. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast hosted by Oliver Cadell. This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Emma Reese and included music by Rhythm Scott. Got an idea for an episode or want to comment on something we've discussed recently? Drop us an email at podcast at 1618digital.com or find us on Twitter at iAudio Podcast. If you've enjoyed our show, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out. Visit immersiveaudiopodcast.com to access show notes and other episodes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.